Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Lizzie Borden murders. Here's what you need to know. In 1892, Fall River, Massachusetts was a cotton boom town populated by the wealthy textile mill owners and the poor Irish and French Canadian immigrant workers. 32-year-old Lizzie Borden was among the wealthy in town, Lizzie's father, Andrew Borden, was an eighth-generation high-society man, owning substantial property and employed as the president of a major bank in Fall River. He and Lizzie's mother, Sarah Morse, were married until her death when Lizzie was only two years old. Andrew remarried Abby Gray two years later. Lizzie was active in the Fall River community. She was a member of the Christian Endeavor Society and the Ladies' Fruit and Flower Mission, as well as a Sunday school teacher and member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. A novelist named Victoria Lincoln, who lived up the street from her in childhood, described her as, quote, tall, stocky, jowly, dressy, and unremarkable. On the very hot morning of August 4th, 1892, the family woke for breakfast. Andrew's brother-in-law, John Morse, was in town for a visit and headed into town around 9 a.m. to make some purchases. Andrew headed out for work while Abby went to the second floor to clean. When Andrew came home, he struggled with the front door lock before entering and resting in the sitting room. Bridget Sullivan, the family's Irish immigrant servant, washed the windows before taking a nap in her third floor bedroom. She was awoken by Lizzie shouting, Father's dead! Go for the doctor. 
Bridget entered the sitting room to find Andrew slumped over the couch, dripping with blood from at least 10 stab wounds. The women rushed to call the doctor, and Lizzie informed Bridget Abby had left to visit a friend who was ill. Bridget, certain Abby hadn't left, approached the second-floor bedroom only to find Abby soaked in blood, dead from 17 blows to the head. To this day, the gruesome murders live on in the form of a popular, terrifying nursery rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother Fun facts, a.k.a. death stats. Andrew Borden, 70 years old, was discovered in a pool of blood on the living room couch. His face nearly split in two and still dripping with blood. Abby Borden, 63 years old, was found in the second floor bedroom. Because she was found with dark, coagulated blood on her injuries, it was believed she was killed possibly an hour and a half before her husband. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello, Alarmy. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And it's just the three of us today. Spooky. Three of us. Oh my God, wait, <laughs> did something happen to our guest? Is that why it's only three of us? I, I Yes, what happened was I, I had asked a ghost to oh. be our guest oh. because it's you know we're getting close to halloween right and, right you know yes I thought so that they must be, be pretty busy if it's close to halloween it, it, and that's what happened <laughs> they, were, right. they were double booked <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> the ghost ghosted you yeah i wow. mean it, it's not that he's not here or that he is here but we can't see him it, i think it, it was I think a, a, a ghost ghost a, a ghost the human us right Wait, what? Because if a human ghosts someone, doesn't a ghost human oh, someone? Oh, yes, I see what you're saying. Well, to human would be to do the opposite of what ghosting is, which is to be there. To, to be, be present. So right, yeah. I would say a ghost who is always there for another ghost is humaning that ghost. Right, yes. right, right. But, okay. but there is no, there's no ghost ghosting us or humaning us today. No. They, they were cl- simply double booked. Look, in all fairness... It's like trying to get. It's like trying to make an appointment with Santa Claus on Christmas. Exactly. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, but since we don't, I just used another holiday. It was very. It was a very. It's no, like I got it. It's I like it. trying to have a conversation with a turkey around Thanksgiving. Right. Right. It's very difficult. Exactly. To <laughs> it's like it's like it's like trying to get a hold of a of a firework during New Year's Eve. Right. You know. Right. It's like trying to ride a unicorn during gay pride. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're all occupied. occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, so since we don't have a guest today, I was thinking we could ask ourselves, what is something that's just, you know, a short thing, three sentences. What's keeping us up at night? What's what's alarming us? I'll these tell days? you something that, uh, that doesn't alarm me, but gives me anxiety, which is what that's about, too. When somebody says in three sentences. Okay. And I'm not just saying that because you just said it right now, but it happened to me the other day when I was trying to, not trying to, but I was, I was sort of on my way of leaving a social function that we were all at, by the way, but I Mm. I stayed later than you guys. (laughs) And uh, one of our friends came up to me and he was like, so how are you doing, Chris? Like, uh, just, and I was like, "Uh," because I had said I was leaving and he was like, give me a three sentence. How How are are you doing? doing? And I'm a very literal person. So I'll. I'll be like, oh shit, like where do the sentences end? And like, what? (laughs) Gotta pick the best three sentences. (laughs) What if it's a run on sentence? (laughs) You follow direction. Okay. Okay. What about you, Clayton? Is there something that's alarming you? Um, God. I mean, if you have to think about it, okay, so I'll I'll go. You go. um, And maybe this will spark something. I read an LA Times. Uh, article that came out recently that said that climate change action sorry sorry heat waves are a one of the biggest serial killers and they go underdocumented and that's in California. Well, we talked about that when we I know. when we covered the European heat wave. Exactly. Is that they're really hard they're not just like okay, here's a hurricane, we all know what a hurricane is, category they all have no. different categories, they get names. Mm-hmm. Hurricanes get names. And one of the things that happens is 
they, you know, people will, obviously this affects the elderly and, and um, mostly, but they'll be, you know, working outside and then just go into their how- mm-hmm. home. And if they don't have air conditioning, they'll mm-hmm. just, they'll, they overheat. Overheat. And yep. die of heart attacks usually. So that it's really sad. sad. Um, uh, but you can see how that would go un- unchecked or uncounted there sort of as a heat wave right. you know it's like oh technically it's cardiac arrest right right but uh, induced by right exactly they there has been talk of starting to name the heat waves to make people un- like take them more seriously i read that recently and oh, oh yeah. i think a times article being like we should start naming these heat waves so that it has the same gravitas as like a hurricane and we should take yeah. it more seriously um i ha- what's been bothering me and you bringing up things like elderly and overlooked okay <laughs> <laughs> okay Oh um, boy. Oh, and I also just it. had I had a physical sensation. I have a pinched nerve in my right no. foot. Oh, no. And it's because I'm it's just literally because I'm getting older and I tried to oh. do a, a, an exercise and my body was like, "Nah. <laughs> you can't do that. You're broken now." <laughs> just one like, I just yeah, pinched nerve. Where right are foot. you are you okay? Yeah, I'll be all right if no. Uh, you know, like well, it's only going to get worse, right? <laughs> yeah, like theoretically, we'll be all right, but I don't know if your workouts will be the yeah. same ever again. Yeah, my walking might suffer long term, but <laughs> I'm I'm alive. Gosh. Okay, well, I mean, with you know, uh, how can I transition here? This is this is what's the perfect. The pi- what's the nerve yeah. in your back? Yeah, no Pinching sharp you. pain. I'll tell you. I'll tell you sharp who pain, got sharp pain. Sharp objects sharp objects in the back of your head right these poor victims That's of right. Liz- lizzie uh borden i'd like to take there. an axe on my stupid pinched nerve <laughs> <laughs> okay that, the, that wouldn't i don't think that would help it? your situation <laughs> i don't think that would help right okay I mean, I'm, unless you're using the butt of the axe to kind of massage massage it sure yeah massage okay it. i guess I'll, I'll t- let's do that but that would be dangerous and i would advise against that yeah um so this is according to American Heritage. This is what, you know, happened moments when the bodies were found. Bridget, as you remember, was the servant, finished her windows and climbed the back stairs to her attic room to rest at about 11. This is 11 in the morning. The house was hot and silent. Within minutes, Bridget recalled she was awakened by Lizzie calling, quote, come down quick. Uh, father's dead. Somebody come down. Somebody came and killed him. Little was left of Andrew's face. Half an eye hung from its socket. Doctors testified that a single axe blow had killed him. Nine others had been gratuitous. Shortly after the police arrived, Bridget and a neighbor ventured upstairs for a sheet to cover the hideous sight, and they were found uh, there. They found Abby. Her plump body lay face down in a pool of blood. Her head and neck a bloody mess. Those first on the scene noted that Lizzie remained remarkably calm throughout the ordeal. While one woman claimed that there were tears in her eyes, several others testified that Lizzie's eyes were dry and her hands steady. Ooh. What a murder. What a murder. Grizzly. Um, Grizzly is something that people use to describe something like that. Yep. Um, I I think I I already used it, so. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So, uh... (laughs) The first thing that I thought of was a detective might look at that and say that because of the gratuitous violence that there was a personal connection. Mm. I feel like I've seen enough law and order, special victim mm-hmm. u- victims unit, that it wasn't just a planned thing, that it was personal building up passionate murder. Sure. So that's, that's where I, my mind's at. What about you, Rebecca or Clayton? I'm thinking, I mean, it's 1892, right? It's 1892. So these are very different times. Yes. It's like a thousand years ago. It's a thousand years ago. (laughs) And what people were used to living with and experiencing day to day, very different from today. So true. My first thing is like, it, it sounds disgusting. And like, you know, if I were to walk into that scene, I would be very traumatized. It'd be very hard for me to like look at and get out of my mind um but you know they have pictures online Ooh, yeah yeah i don't like that i mean i guess it was just as terrifying then right but like were they somehow yeah. like 
Lizzie in uh-huh. shock. So that's why she's calm or because she was so. That's a great question. I think Murders. we're, we're going to have to discuss when we put her up on the board. But first, before we put her up on the board, let's put up some of the ones that were speculated early on. Okay. Right. So there was a foreigner. <laughs> Just a foreigner. <laughs> Any old foreigner will do. <laughs> yes. Not one from this town. Not one from here. Just anyone who looks different or yeah. sounds different or comes from a place that's not here. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds, yeah, sounds like America. <laughs> okay. Smithsonian Magazine says, the police initially considered the murders a male crime, probably committed by a, quote, foreigner. Within a few hours of the murders, police arrested their first suspect, an innocent Portuguese immigrant. American Heritage says every door to the house had been locked and double locked, making it unlikely that anyone familiar with the home could have gotten in without being seen. Unfamiliar with the home. Oh, sorry. Unfamiliar. Uh, The absence of probable suspects encouraged frantic speculation. Rumors circulated about a tenant who had a grudge against Mr. Borden, about a Portuguese farm laborer who had once been employed by the Bordens in nearby Swansea, about a poorly dressed man hurrying down the street on the morning of the murders, carrying what appeared to be a hatchet wrapped in newspaper. So this was what was circling around town. Hmm. So... Wait, if all the doors were locked, why they they just what they just said family probably didn't do it. People inside were were unlikely. Why did they why was there frantic speculation? Sorry, I'm a little confused here. So, when the the reason the doors were locked was um or or the reason they're 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 talking about this was the there was a guest that had left the house mm. and when he returned he went to open the door, use the key that he had been given, mm. and it was locked. He went round to the back, and it was also locked. And so he started banging on the door, and that's when the uh, when the uh, ser- uh, servant, which is Bridget, mm-hmm. went around, and that, and then they shortly after that discovered the bodies. Okay. I still am confused as to why they blamed a foreigner. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Now, the, the other person they blamed was the servant who yeah. was inside the house, Bridget Sullivan. This is according to Kara Robertson, author. Uh, she, uh, she says, once it became clear that a familiar, uh, sorry, a fair amount of time had elapsed between the two deaths, it became unlikely that the killer was an outsider. Mm. It was a small house and there weren't very many places to hide. This is NPR. They said uh, the servant, who was Irish, the, f- Ooh, the geez, first strike against her mm-hmm. in the New England town and its waspy anti-immigrant sentiments, mm-hmm. and whom the family calls by their last servant's name, Maggie. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. They don't even call her her name. No, they just call- they're like, our old one was Maggie, so can you just be Maggie yeah. too? <laughs> We're not going to learn a new name. <laughs> Um, as they couldn't be bothered to, to remember the name Bridget, apparently, was the natural suspect for the police at first. But once they'd ruled her out, they closed their net around Lizzie. So this is more of sort of a chronological kind of uh, piecing together as the police did of the time. So we'll just put it up on the board just like the police did. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what did we put? What exactly are we putting up? The foreigner and then Bridget. Bridget. Okay, a <laughs> Maggie. <laughs> The idea that you can't even learn somebody's new name is absurd to me. Unreal. So I they're mean, monsters. They're, they're already guilty by <laughs> just by that alone. I mean, the, these were uh, interesting uh, people. Um, and let's discuss now Lizzie Bo- Borden. We got to put her up on the list. Mm-hmm. We will not make this mistake ever again. again. <laughs> the Jack Torrance mistake we just made by not, believe, not putting Jack Torrance on the board. Hey, no, no, no. We've learned our lesson <laughs> time and time again. <laughs> um, uh, this is, uh, okay, so bear with me and, and we'll stop here and there because this is kind of long. This is according to an American Heritage uh, article I read. It's very long, very interesting if you're interested. Um, At the inquest early the following week, 
Lizzie was unable to maintain a consistent story about her activities on the morning of the murders. Pressed on her whereabouts at the time of her father's death, Lizzie first claimed she was in the barn loft seeking iron to make sinkers for a fishing expedition. Then she she uh, then that she was up in the loft eating pears. The closed barn loft would have been so insufferably hot that day that few would have visited it voluntarily, much less lingered to eat pears. Furthermore, an officer who claimed that uh, to have been the first to examine the loft after the crimes testified that the dust in the on the floor was undisturbed by footprints or trailing skirts. Hmm. So. Quickly, you know, her, her, you know, alibi or wherever mm-hmm. she said she was, was uh, yeah, questionable. Deemed, yeah, very questionable. questionable. Yeah. Okay. And they go on. By Saturday, the day of the funerals, the police felt that they had little choice but to arrest Lizzie. She alone, they felt, had had the opportunity to commit the murders. They found it hard to believe that anyone could have passed through the house unseen by Lizzie, who claimed to have been on the first floor while Abby was being murdered above. It's also strained, uh, it also strained credibility to assert, as Lizzie did, that Abby's 210-pound body had crashed to the floor without a sound. Furthermore, <laughs> I know. I just, I just Lizzie. I mean, it's definitely her. Like, it's, <laughs> I mean, Jesus. there's an there's a literal axe murder happening in the room next door, See, and she's I like, picture, I didn't hear it. I just picture her saying, like, I didn't see anyone. I was busy murdering people, <laughs> so, so I didn't see people because I had the bloodshot eyes and of a murderer while I was murdering someone. <laughs> okay, so furthermore, despite a reward offered by the Borden sisters, no sender of the note that Lizzie claimed had called Abby to town could be found. Okay, let me explain actually, let me explain this. So, when the poli- so what happened was that when her dad Okay, so Abby, her stepmother, was mm-hmm. murdered, right? Mm-hmm. The dad returns mm-hmm. and and we'll 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 get to this in a little bit. He returns home possibly because it's so hot mm-hmm. a little earlier than expected from his job. He asks Lizzie, "Where is Abby?" and she says, "Oh, I don't know. Someone sent a note and she went to go visit a sick friend." Mm-hmm. Uh, I see. So, so she, she's she being shady about where the whereabouts of Abby. Yeah, presumably because she's she, already dead upstairs. She got, she right. So, but and and, and they they couldn't they, find the note. They couldn't find this note. Okay. Okay. Well, and we do know that from the records that he was killed like about an hour and a half after Abby was killed, right? Yes. Mm. Yes. So she's mm-hmm. definitely already upstairs in that bedroom, dead and bleeding. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Wow. Um. In Liz, so uh, back to the American Heritage. Um article in lizzie's favor was the fact that she had been neat and clean when first seen after the murders the police were certain that the murderer would have been covered with blood medical experts would later examine the trajectories of the spurting blood and argue otherwise but belief in blood drenched killer persisted Mm. Um, though puzzled by lizzie's cleanliness police were certain that they had found the murderer weapon murder weapon Lying in a box of dusty tools stored high in a chimney jog in the basement was a hatchet head. It was neither rusty nor old, though it had been freshly rubbed in ashes, perhaps to make it appear so. Moreover, its wooden handle, from which blood would have been difficult to remove, had been broken off near the head. (laughs) So presumably she took it off. uh, Covered it in ashes and sort of tucked it in this jog, whatever that is. So during the trial, a new piece of evidence uh, came about damaging to Lizzie's cause. She had turned over to the police a spotlessly clean, fancy blue Bengaline Bengaline dress that she swore she had worn on the day of the murders. Women in New England were surprised. No one wore party dresses of Bengaline, a partly woolen fabric around the house in August heat. Hmm. While witnesses swore that Lizzie was indeed wearing blue that day, none could swear that this 
dress was the one that she they, they had seen. To confound the problem, Alice Russell reluctantly admitted that she had seen Lizzie burn a blue cotton dress in the kitchen stove three days after the murders. The dress was soiled, she said. Lizzie t- had told her with brown paint. A color Come noted now. <laughs> a color noted the prosecutor, not unlike that of dried blood. Correct. Okay. <laughs> so, a lot of circumstantial evidence. It's all circumstantial. If I'm in the jury right now, though, I'm not feeling too good about Lizzie. Just like based on these facts alone, you know, it's like we're going to we're going to sit through the whole trial. We're going to hear all the information. Yeah. But this is not helpful information. I mean, it would have been interesting if you had been in the jury, because do you guys know what happened? Uh, Spoiler alert. This, you know, goes to trial. They have it's an all male jury. So I and could have been on the jury because I'm could, a white yes, man. Yes, yes, a white man. You Chris and, and I could uh, do Chris, it. No, I'm Italian. Chris and Clayton. Italians are technically uh, far. Yeah, oh, you're maybe at that time, yeah, at that time, maybe you wouldn't have been on the jury, but Clayton for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pilgrim through yeah. and through. <laughs> <laughs> um, it took them supposedly an hour, but uh, got you know they say technically it really was just 10 minutes and then they just talked about other things uh to make it seem like they were <laughs> thinking Wasn't about a it rash more. decision yeah <laughs> uh and she was found not guilty crazy yes and i'll t- you know we'll get into the, that but okay you know this is where we're going a couple of things uh, popped into my mind ideas for putting up on the board uh you might get to this later but um the heat of august no, I don't have that. Let's put that up. So right. I would just, you know, that's always a contributing factor. Plus, we were just talking about heat waves, and mm-hmm. we were just hard on heat waves. So mm-hmm. put that up on, on the board. And then also, um, we got to put the fashion up industry up there. Not only, A, because of her. Yep. A, because they are a, aren't they a cotton mill producing? Or or, or they're a, um, they what is are the town a, produces a textile mill owners. Yes, textiles. So textiles. The, the town, it's a, it's the, a cotton. Their dad was a banker. Yes. Okay, but their the town Fall River. Okay. Was populated by wealthy textile mill owners. Mm-hmm. So textiles all around. Plus, you got the fashion of the day of her blue dress, giving uh-huh. giving away the fact that, um, you know, she might have done it. Yes. Um. Well, this is our our. our you're you're hinting or you're saying exactly what our listener suggestion is, oh. and they also put the fashion industry up, but right. for a different reason. Oh. This is coming from at Mary Maricat, and they say the fashion industry clothes and corsets were so uncomfortable it made her crabby enough to murder. Mm. <laughs> She's just crabby from a corset, so she hacks her father ten times with an axe. <laughs> Oh, that's God, a, that's really God crabby. Damn. That's very crabby. <laughs> it's like, oh, day after day, this but course. You, is... you know what? You you're two guys. You'll never understand. You know, this is where sure. this is where uh, Amanda would attest to it because she's always wanted to do who's to blame for the corset. That's mm-hmm. always been her pitch. Um, and uh, it, it, you get. You get re- you can't breathe. You can't, you can't breathe in those I, things. I buy it. I mean, there are furniture. Wasn't there, isn't there a furniture piece called like a fainting couch, which is what women used to f- lay on after they took their corsets off because they would be so constricted by the corsets? Like, isn't that something? I think you're right. I think you mm-hmm. I got to look that into up that. Because I think you are right. It's just like a chaise lounge, I think. Yeah. We just yeah, turned fainting like, couches into know, a chaise lounge and now it's yes. a popular decor thing. <laughs> <laughs> where you pass it's just like where you pass out every day after yeah. you take your corset off <laughs> like that's not sustainable no <laughs> um let's talk about uh family inheritance hmm. um so this was a point of contention uh within the family um uh, this is again uh the american heritage article while emma tolerated uh, emma is her sister while emma tolerated her stepmother lizzie openly disliked her Ill feelings increased in 1887 when Andrew gave Abby a house for the use of her sister. Seeking, so remember, Abby's the stepmom. So there's already a lot of tension between Lizzie and the stepmom. So seeking peace, Andrew then gives his daughters a house of greater value to rent out, but they are not placated. 
A dressmaker later remembered making the mistake of referring to Abby as Lizzie's, quote, mother, causing Lizzie to snap, saying, don't call her that to me. She is a mean thing and we hate her. Um, and from the record, from what I, I, I remember also uh, reading, she when when the dad gave Lizzie and Emma, the sister, the house, they were so upset because they knew what he was doing. Right. Uh, it was he was just placating them that they sold it right back to him for money. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, OK, so this is according to Jules Reichebusch, professor. Um, and they said it was money. The motive was money, but that wasn't planned. And Lizzie did hate her stepmother. All this evidence seemed to point to Lizzie, but the only motive anyone could come up with was simply greed. Upon the deaths of her father and stepmother, Lizzie and Emma would come into a sizable inheritance. And what we, and we, and Dad was a bit of a penny pincher, right? He, he was. was a bit of an, he was a bit of an Ebenezer who. And she, Lizzie, what liked the finer things? She wanted to like travel and wear nice things. And I guess they fought a lot about the fact that he was like, "No, we're not wasting that money," even though he was like a bank manager and rolling in it. I guess. Okay, so get daddy, get get daddy small bucks up there, daddy small bucks, <laughs> and get. Uh, he is also the victim. So, <laughs> so let's. Yeah, let's let's play the dead guy. Let's just you know. play real fast maybe, and loose here. No, maybe we, we don't put Daddy okay. small bucks. Maybe we just put like, uh, uh, you know, like penny pinching Ebenezer, like Dad's penny pinching ways. Sure, sure. Ebene- <laughs> um, okay, and and let's talk about the father. So let's talk about this. Um, Andrew Borden began his business career as an undertaker. It was rumored that he had cut the feet off corpses to make them fit into undersized coffins. But whoever, however, ill-gotten his initial profits, Borden invested them wisely. By 1892, he was worth nearly half a million dollars, served as a director of several banks and as a board member of three woolen mills, and had built the imposing A.J. Borden building on Main Street as a testimony to his business acumen. To keep his fortunes increasing, Borden foreclosed, undercut, overcharged, and hoarded without flinching. Borden's first wife, Sarah, had died in 1862 after bearing him three daughters. Only two of them survived past infancy. Two years later, he married Abby Gray, a 38-year-old spinster. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Nothing suggests that Abby was anything but kind to the two little girls whose stepmother she became, but they never returned her affection. After After a marriage, Abby became a compulsive eater. Only a little over five feet tall, by 1892, she weighed more than 200 pounds. Okay, American Heritage. Calm down. Don't need to body shame. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so there's a lot of tension. It looks like he he did penny pinch. This is now according to biography.com. Despite Andrew's financial success, the family lived a frugal lifestyle. Their home lacked electricity and indoor plumbing. And Lizzie, who was fond of fine clothes and longed to travel, frequently chafed against her father's penny-pinching noting that a number of Borden relatives lived in the more socially prominent Fall River neighborhood known as The Hill. The wealthy Borden was not a popular man, and he had personal and professional disputes with a number of people, any of whom Lizzie later claimed could have had a motive to kill him. Rolling Stone said there has been there have been many theories regarding Lizzie's potential motives, including that she was the victim of incest at the hand of her father or was angry with him for killing her pet pigeons or simply (laughs) sick of his strict and rigid ways, ready to inherit his wealth and stop living under his thumb. None can be proven, but they that all adds to the mystique. What's interesting, too, is that you find out that after this all happens and she's acquitted is that they do sell the house and they buy a house up on the hill. Yes. She and her sister do. Which is yeah. like what they want to do all along. So it does, again, it's like, you're like, that doesn't look too, that's not a smart move. What was preventing for them from doing that earlier? Because I was about to say we could Dad. blame sort of American patriarchy because a woman like Lizzie, who's say she's unmarried, right? Right. She's 32. She's still living with her dad. There's obviously roommate tensions there. Right. Um, 
because I was like, this made me think of somebody who's living in their parents' basement and complaining about like the snacks or something. It's like, you, you know, like go off and you're an adult and go off and well, make your own. So I think, probably, but, but, but I think yeah. at the time it wasn't sort of socially acceptable for her to do that. So I would sort of blame the patriarchy. patriarchy. Let's put that up because okay. I, I had called it. I mean, maybe we could stay the patriarchy or uh, female perceptions of the time, you know, at the time. Right. Um, but let's call it the patriarchy. By the way, he used to cut the feet off of people to fit them into a smaller coffin. Can you imagine getting mm. to heaven? St. Peter, you spent your whole life, you're a good person, you get to heaven. St. Peter opens the gate, you take a step and trip because you don't have your feet. Because the guy who put you in a coffin at the very end of your life <laughs> cut your feet off. <laughs> and you got to go through your whole after, like if the afterlife Wait, exists. But but are you saying that afterlife you're you're going to be however you end I think you're, you're going to continue state. your act you sustain in your afterlife If it's a Halloween movie yes <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> I just think that would be a funny idea uh of <laughs> somebody who gets it to heaven but they can't walk or run cuz the guy took their feet took, took their the feet, feet. I but don't know. um you know, I'm working on a bunch of spin-offs uh, for this podcast that are some some are more <laughs> No Feet. It's called is your podcast called No Feet? I think it would be called No Feet in um, Heaven. Wheeling around the clouds or something like that cuz you'd you'd give the guy a wheelchair obviously, right? Okay. God would provide a wheelchair. Sure. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, <laughs> patriarchy uh anyway. Uh this again is uh American heritage and it's Pop is they say popular theories about women's uh, physiological and psychological makeup took a new importance to followers of the Borden case. After detailed anatomical analysis, scientists confidently declared that the women the women of their era differed little from their prehistoric sisters. They spoke with assurance of women's arrested evolution. The fault, they agreed, laid in her reproductive capacity, which sapped vital powers that in men contributed to ever-improving physique and intellect. Okay, buddy. Uh, the defects of the female anatomy included slopping shoulders, broad hips, underdeveloped muscles, short arms and legs, and poor coordination. To those who believed Lizzie innocent, evidence was abundant that no short-armed, uncoordinated weakling of a woman could swing an axe with enough force to crash through hair and bone almost two dozen times. Uh, so, like, for the record, uh, the media and the people at, uh, of the town at the time didn't think that Lizzie w was capable of murder merely because she was a woman. Right. She's too weak and, and feeble to be able to hold an axe and yeah. swing it that many times. At, Chris? <laughs> God, people are so funny at that. Just like, terrible, terrible. That's rooted in like our, again, that's like a sex of the more. It's like women, it's like this weak sex and there's no way they could be so monstrous. It's, you know, that's a man's work. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Spins okay, so it goes on. Spencer's like Lizzie, spinsters like Lizzie, she's 32 years old, uh, were, as one author charitably put it, quote, deplorable accidents. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jeez. Wow. But they were not wholly useless. The nation <laughs> God. This is crazy. This is crazy. Okay, the nation's old you maids. Imagine being a woman at this time. No, I can't. Thank being God, I'm like not. This? No, Na the nation's old maids were urged to devote themselves to Christian charities and to teaching a re reproductive calling. <laughs> they called it a reproductive calling. Lizzie's devotion to good works and the church followed this prescription precisely. Compelling indeed was the image of this pious daughter serving stream steaming bowls of soup to indigent newsboys and diligently trying to bring the gospel to heathens of Fall River. Several authors manfully chuckled over women's inability to plan and think things through. 
Clearly, the murderer of the Bordens had planned things quite well. Not only had he managed to murder two people and elude the police, but he had shown remarkable tenacity by hiding for more than an hour after murdering Abby in order to do the same to Andrew. So is that like sexist oppression that's like contributing to her murderous rage? What do you call that? Yeah, I guess Mm -hmm. we'd call that misconceptions of women. Like, like, like. Uh, uh, you know, 1890s misconceptions of or underestimating women. <laughs> I think that's what that is. We mm-hmm. think I think it's put holding them down too. Like oh. it's very skillfully done. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? it's oppression for sure. It's oppression, of course. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's it's sort of rooted in this sort of widely held wrong belief that they mm-hmm. they they are weaker. So to me what's 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 wrong there and what's to blame is the belief itself. It's the misconception. Mm. I don't know. I think uh, maybe I'm more uh I guess, more, you know, I guess the question is whether that misconception or whatever is intentional whether they Yeah. They're... I mean, it must be nice to it must have been nice to be a guy, you know, at that time and they're like, "We don't want this to change." <laughs> no. And for Lizzie it kind of speaks to her brilliance to be like, I could get away with this because no one's going to think a lady would ever do something like this. Right. Right. They think so little of us. So yeah, you can call that oppression. Oppression. And, yeah. and of women. Underestimation. Female, female oppression. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and something you said before, Chris, uh, perhaps we can put up living with your parents too long. You were talking about the, uh, the, the roommate tension. The, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you know. Well, I sorry. You, you keep you keep going, but okay. I have some thoughts about that. Okay. Even the house Lizzie lived. This is American Heritage again. Uh, even the house Lizzie lived in vexed her. Its Grant era furnishings contrasted sharply with her stylish clothes. There was no bath, no electricity. Those such com- uh, like we said, uh, they were common elsewhere in town. Besides the water closet in the basement stood a pile of old newspapers for sanitary purposes. No interior space was wasted on hallways. Rooms simply opened into one another, making it very difficult for anyone to pass through unnoticed. Lizzie longed to live in the hill, on the hill, Fall River's most elegant neighborhood and the symbol of social prominence she craved. While her father's wealth entitled her to live there, Andrew insisted on living on De Classe 2nd Street. I don't know what de- seems like a French word. Declasse, but it can't be a... a not, it's not a good word. Not a no. des- nice descriptor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, it's having fallen in social status, so mm-hmm. it's low social status. Oh, low, low. The second yeah. street is a shitty, shitty street. Okay. So, I mean, I, I just want to point out the floor plan um, really quickly because we, ha- we have to start knocking things off the list. The, the floor plan of, of this house where, you know, upstairs so you entered from a staircase from the front and that led to the second floor to a on the left was a a bedroom that was for the the guest and that's where abby's body was found and to the right was lizzie's bedroom and in that was a bigger room and then Emma's bedroom, which was her sister, was to the left. And so you had to go through Lizzie's bedroom in order to go to Emma's bedroom. Mm-hmm. So she was like literally living in a closet. You had to go through uh, uh, Lizzie's to get to Andrew and Abby's too, apparently. Well, the only way to get to Andrew and Abby's was, yes, according to the floor plan, potentially you could. But the real way was only through the back staircase mm-hmm. because Andrew and Abby's door between Lizzie and bedrooms had been uh, Lizzie and and uh, their the master bedroom mm-hmm. the parents bedroom had been nailed shut oh. hmm. so uh, yes so I, I think that living with your parents is definitely one thing we can put on the board I think another thing we can put on the board is roommate problems <laughs> because I think that's distinct from living with your parents because sure. you can have a bad roommate and that bad roommate could be your parents it could be your spouse it could be somebody your uh you know it could just be somebody you find on craigslist but if they leave their shit around and if they play their music a little too loud and if they like watching tv at the same time that you do in the living room that you know 
basically all this stuff can drive you absolutely crazy mm-hmm. and um without good communication and uh proper financing as well um you know you're you might be stuck there and mm. in, in those negative situations. And and sure. it doesn't seem like Lizzie had any options, right? As a woman, it's not like she could have uh just left and got her own home. If it, it was not no. common, yeah, for a single woman to live alone, especially I, if her father's still alive. Exactly. Right? I mean, when you when you lay out the options, it's either s- s- stay or murder. There might have been a few other options in between there. I hope so. I hope there are other options. So I wouldn't say she was optionless. No. Maybe she could have been a little more creative with her with her thinking. Um, But yeah, I would say roommate roommate problems. Okay. I I don't have anything to add to the board, but one thing I wanted to just say that I found interesting. I read I think a similar or maybe the same article from Smithsonian, Smithsonian Magazine, but that once this all happened. I guess Fall River, which was growing more and more, the population of immigrants was growing, had like their second ever Irish mayor and their like town newspaper was all about like how Lizzie did it and how everyone on the hill was like pouring all this money into, you know, trying to free Lizzie or acquit her from this crime. Whereas like up on the hill, they had their own, not magazine, newspaper. Uh-huh. And they were all about trying to frame Lizzie as this innocent person who was a victim of, you know, a, B, and C. And I just think it's interesting to put it in today's context. Like, imagine if we had, like, a really high-profile female serial killer or murderer. Just, like, mm-hmm. it's so rare. Yeah. And how interesting that, like, you would, if you could see, like, all the wealthy... People liberal, rallying like behind... Like, the liberal elites who are, like, you know, and feminists who are, like, she's innocent. And then all the... You, know, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you could mm-hmm. imagine. Uh, the optics were... I don't know. Very questionable. It must have been quite the sensation. Like, what a story for 1892, like, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. Like, What ooh. about, cl- is there a class? Is there classism at, at, at work here? I think so, because uh, I, I remember reading that another thing that the, you know, the men of the time thought was that uh, a woman, if she was going to commit a crime like a, a murder crime, especially upper an upper class woman, would have the the weapon of choice would have been poison, right? Because they number one would have had the means, and that would be would have been their like customary, uh, or that would have aligned better with you know not wanting to get their hands dirty. Sure, I, and then you don't have to be you know because it doesn't require anything physically from them. I think. I th- Oops, sorry. I think I think that um, <laughs> I think that you know there's patriarchy which we already have on there. Mm-hmm. But is, is there a difference here between patriarchy and I mean I don't know. We also have female oppression. But is it just can we just put up dumb boys up there? Because d- the boys, <laughs> the guys are just dumb about these women. They, they underestimate them. Um, and dumb that- boys making women like like pushing them to the brink and then they snap mm. like like that kind of responsibility I think it's I mean, underestimate it's, underestimating i think society run by the boys okay the so society. we're we're, we're not we're gonna still be in patriarchy land yeah. so why don't we just cut that out well i can keep dumb boys for now <laughs> <laughs> let's just have you read it at least okay, um, Are okay. We, do we want to add anything else or i think we're good i'm good i think right. this is good okay so let's take a quick break and then we'll start knocking things off the list Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, who's to blame for the Lizzie Borden murders? A foreigner. (laughs) Bridget, the housekeeper. A.K.A. Maggie. A.K.A. Maggie. Lizzie Borden. August heat. The fashion industry. Family inheritance. Dad's penny-pinching ways. The patriarchy. Secret enemy of Andrew Borden. Female oppression. Living with your parents too long. Roommate tension. Classism. Or dumb boys. (laughs) <laughs> dumb boys let's keep dumb boys on uh, i think we should take the foreigner and bridget that housekeeper off <laughs> can you ASAP. imagine if we ended up putting the portuguese foreigner in jail there was uh, there was a sloppily dressed man that walked in front he of the was house carrying an axe <laughs> uh okay and then i think uh, of course dumb boys really folds into the patriarchy mm-hmm. okay i i agree i yeah. think i think um Something like heat, while it is very insufferable. I mean, you're not going to murder someone because of heat. It seems like there, were more, there was more going on with this family than just a heat wave. I agree. Right, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And the fa- as well as the fashion industry. Nice try. We tried <laughs> nice to try. get it in there. Tried to get it in but there. But I just don't think, you know, we can, we can really put that, lock that and up. It seems this. like she had some good cloth. So she was on. She wasn't unhappy with her her mm, fashion. True. She probably liked the girdle. <laughs> Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was I like guess a, it was like a. I don't. A symbol. I don't think. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just. I, I don't know. What I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But well, like, if you well, buy into know. fashion, it's like don't you like some people are like, I will suffer for fashion because it's worth it. You <laughs> yeah, know, like some that people mentality. say fashion is pain. Yeah, yeah, or beauty is pain or whatever. Some maybe function, function or fashion. Like, function I have shoes fashion. that I wear that are really painful to wear. And like, have you murdered anyone because you're wearing them? No, not okay. yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Rebecca, are you okay? Send me a yeah. signal if you need help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> twice put on some flip-flops uh maybe we can put i think we can take out living with your parents too long because i don't think she had a a choice and i think many women at the time were living with their parents for way too long Mm -hmm. if they couldn't um if they didn't marry um and it's more about roommate tension really Mm -hmm. secret enemy of andrew borden uh that's 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 lizzie's Story. Yeah, that I, I'm not buying it. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, dad's penny pinching ways. I mean, I, that kind of rolls into living with your parents too long, which kind of rolls into roommate tension. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it seems more about, well, although, you know, it could just, because then you're talking about the dad, you're talking about the relationship, you're talking about the inheritance. So maybe that gets rolled into inheritance. And yeah, Lizzie, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Because he wants a quicker, she wants to turn that faucet up on high. Right now, the faucet's just dripping. Right. It is, when you think about inheritance, isn't it so weird like people who are like, okay, I, I mean, I get it, right? Yeah, don't even go there because then you start to think about philanthropy and you're like, oh, because is this where you're going with this? What? Where it's like, well, you have all this money. You're just going to hold on to it until you die. Right. Then you're going to give it to me? Well, And also then it's like, so you're if you're the person who's going to receive the inheritance, right. you're just waiting for them to, <laughs> you're waiting for another right. human to die so that you Here's can- the- Get your money. Just trying to be chill about it. Trying not to be obvious that that's devil's, what you're doing. But devil's advocate here, if you're Lizzie and you have a dad who's a penny pincher and you know you're going to get all that money that he's not wanting to spend, you're like, great. Versus your crazy dad who's throwing the money away and you're like, dad, I got to kill you before you get rid of every that's single That's a fair penny. point. He was right? a good bank, essentially. He, he was also pretty old at the time. He was like 70 years old. So then I'm taking off family inheritance just based on that amazing point. I, I I mean she could have she could have just I, it, I don't know how how long did people live in nineteen in eighteen ninety two not not much longer past, if they <laughs> no went, if they went past their teens they were basically yeah. like, but you know what no. could have been was that she was scared that he was going to leave it to Abby if he died first sure, and sure. left it okay. to Abby there would have been issues but wait wouldn't that mean so because if, then if Abby gonna... could have redistributed it. You know, right, but then why she was she old kill too? Him? She was right? like sixty three. Yeah, which right. is pretty old for the uh, time. Oh, Abby, Abby, right, right, right. You know, yeah, that's so, just a lack of patience. That's on Lizzie. You yeah. got to be patient for this stuff. Uh, it's just so weird. It's like it is. But very I, I think strange. the the um, what if it's not inheritance? Then it's it's actually the penny pinching. Because mm. if he had been more loose with the money, maybe she wouldn't have wanted that in you know been so in such a rush for the inheritance Hmm. right what came first i don't know to me like what what uh what it speaks to more is lizzie herself and the impatience there i mean if she if she's the one who did if she's the one who did this i mean which i mean how much (laughs) seems like she was (laughs) i don't know there's not again only circumstantial evidence but again it's 1892 i don't know what else you go with I mean, it's like, what What are we deciding here? Who's responsible for the murders? Seems yes. Like Liz, Lizzie Borden is responsible for the murders. Like, just I don't know, right? Clayton. What about the patriarchy? Could be the but, patriarchy. Yes. Female like, oppression. Why, why did she do those things? Right. right. Mm-hmm. And like of the things we have left on the board, patriarchy, female oppression, roommate tension, and classism. I think classism yeah. can probably come off. I yeah, it is part of it. She she did she felt like she was being portrayed as lower class or sure. being seen as lower because she lives on Second Street. Apparently, that shithole of Second Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Okay. So okay. Again, we've got Lizzie herself, the patriarchy, female oppression, and roommate tension. We can. Uh, I think we fold female oppression into the patriarchy, right? Am I am sure. I wrong sure. here? I would sure. I would say that go the other way because patriarch uh, female tension is a specific tenant of the patriarchy writ large, and it's I think more to you know if you can. Is it though? Isn't, isn't it, it? Isn't that the whole thing? <laughs> what? What can, can we get a definition of the patriarchy? I I know I because sometimes I'm like. Do we really know what we're talking like what words mean? Because in my mind The answer to that, you don't want to know the answer to that. Oh geez. (laughs) (laughs) Why? The definition of no, I was just joking. (laughs) Uh, the definition of a patriarch is a system of society or government in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and descent is traced through the male line. So we're talking it's we're using that as a That's female oppression. Synecdoche. Synecdoche. When, I feel like when people reference the patriarchy, 
in a much more derogative manner. It's more about like male dominance and right. Like, well, that that's what I'm saying is that like I think it's used commonly today to mean a lot of different things okay. because the truth about words is that you can just take them and just kind of use them to you can use them however. <laughs> yeah, the hell they can you mean want. whatever they want these days. <laughs> these days, so <laughs> they don't have to be that's, true. That's 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 sort of where I was going, which is that okay. female oppression to me is a bit more of a specific tool version. that the patriarchy uses. Okay. And it has to do with her limited options of the age where she's at because she's a woman and also the lower sort of expectations of her and what her roles I understand of, what you're saying. Sort of forced into being. But if she didn't live in a society where uh, inheritance and power w- uh, was traced or, or, or handed down through male the male people well, in her she, in, she, in her she family she doesn't then that that's not true that's not true what do you of, mean? of the society i mean it's common practice it could be common practice but it's not i mean he, he, you know he could he he's gonna have to leave his money to someone it was gonna go to his I daughters guess that's true you know this isn't it's, you know it's not like a king who get who you know it goes to the male heir <laughs> <laughs> um I, I hear what you're saying. Let's take the patriarchy off for this one. And really, we got to decide between these three. Lizzie Borden, female oppression, and roommate tensions. <laughs> it's funny I feel like me. I... <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. No, I feel like I... One of these... <laughs> it sounds almost like slapstick when you read it out loud. I, I'm guessing you can... Guess Lizzie Borden, right? <laughs> yeah. Why would we blame her? <laughs> one of these, I mean, although I understand the dynamics, it's like, it feels like one of these things is not like the other. Right, right. So I think I hear what you're saying, Clayton. You want to send roommate tension to the alarmist. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I'm going to go against it. And I think that, you know, Lizzie Borden should probably be sent to the alarmist jail. I know. Or, or female oppression. I mean, it's a hard one. It's like I can I hear the argument for female oppression. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, murdering is a different level, right? Um, right. right. And it I seems think- like she got off the hook for this in life. Yeah. So it right. seems like justice to throw her in the alarmist jail in right. this podcast. That makes sense to me. Right. Right. Okay. So let's. I'm going to call it Lizzie Borden. You're going to the alarmist jail. Female oppression, you're getting slapped so hard. Nice. Ouch. <laughs> don't oppress. Don't oppress. Yeah. Impress. Um, don't oppress. There you go. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, for once, we did put a suspected killer in the alarmist jail. You know... So, Sometimes you just, you know, keep it simple, stupid. The kiss method. (laughs) Keep it simple. Although, you know, no hard evidence, but okay, sure. Lizzie's going to jail. It's true. It's a good point, Um, actually. I I mean, okay, well, this is a nightmare for me. False imprisonment is a nightmare. That is a nightmare. Um, But okay, we're... we're (laughs) If one of the alarmy starts a, a defense organization for falsely imprisoned uh, alarmist jail people... Yeah. That could be a fun spinoff. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, well, we'll have to talk to an expert about this because yeah. I, if, if she is not, if she didn't do, commit the crime I, I and we, we don't have enough evidence, we might have to take her out, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay, well, thanks again to us for being here <laughs> as our own guests. We are welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. And that's, that's that. See you next time. (laughs) After the murders on August 11th, 1892, Lizzie Borden was arrested for the murders of her father and stepmother. Ten months later, she went on trial in New Bedford. The jury waited for what they perceived to be a decent interval, just over an hour before acquitting her. Two months after the innocent verdict, Lizzie and Emma moved to a large Victorian house on the hill. Four years after her acquittal, a warrant was issued for her arrest in Providence. She was charged with shoplifting and apparently made restitution. 
In 1905, Emma moved out of the house and evidently the sisters never saw each other again. Both died in 1927, Lizzie first and then Emma nine days later. for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist the on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the Halloween poison candy hysteria that swept the nation. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.